0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor. This is the Salty Pastor podcast where history, philosophy, and ideology is reviewed through the lens of objective truth and where your mind, your will, and your heart can grow because you're taking steps in your own faith. Today's episode is on the irrationality of believing evolution and atheism at the same time. Here's our guide through these complex waters, <laughs> Dr. Douglas Peak.
1: Welcome to this podcast, my friends. It's so good to have you. Uh, It's designed particularly to strengthen your belief. I've said many times that what you believe is one of the most important things about you. So today we're going to dig into the truth of this statement at really deep levels.
0: Well, I'm excited and looking forward to that. Um, We're kind of concluding our series on Mm -hmm. faith and science Mm -hmm. and what has become of this extremely clear to me is that christianity is the greatest benefactor to science in history and that atheism is strangling scientific inquiry Mm -hmm. right
1: Uh, yes i do i really think that that is the case as we move into the 21st and 22nd century
0: so on Tuesday, we kind of discussed uh, the biblical principles on how to address the influence of atheism or, or naturalism, as it's mm-hmm. also called, on science and culture. Last Sunday, you pointed out how atheism or atheists claim that Darwinian evolution proves there is no God. Mm-hmm. Um, you easily debunked this ideology. It was actually really simple for you, <laughs> which was kind of surprising being how much that thought and ideology has kind of permeated our society.
1: Everybody just accepts it because they're always saying
0: it and And the press always repeats it. And you took 30 to 40 minutes and just knocked it all out of the park.
1: (laughs) So, yeah. So nobody with a rational mind is going to say that that conclusion is accurate or true. It's completely false. It's the old notion that if you repeat a lie enough, everyone just starts to accept it. Yeah.
0: So with that, Um, those points that we've kind of hit behind us, I want to move the conversation forward. I want to dig into why atheism undermines scientific inquiry and advancement. And and what is their argument? What is the argument?
1: Yeah, well, the primary argument against atheism and scientific materialism or what they use evolution in particular as the tool to claim that there is no God is irrationality. You see, what a lot of people will do is they um, uh, is atheists will say, here is a tool. Evolution. And this tool proves there's no God. And so then what people will respond and say, well, the tool doesn't prove that because the tool is flawed. See, that's generally how the debate goes. Right. Now, those people who say the tool is flawed have a lot of you know stuff to work with right there's a lot of truth in their things however what it doesn't do is it doesn't address the irrationality of the initial premise and that is this is that the atheism uses evolution to prove there is no god and c.s lewis argued against this he's very effective because he used to be an atheist And, and his point is is that well you can't believe in evolution, right, and atheism at the same time. So he would argue against that. Uh, Dr. William Lane Craig is very good at arguing the irrationality of atheism in and of itself as a belief system. Not science, but atheism. He's a professor of philosophy at Houston Baptist University. He's a research professor of philosophy at Talbot School of Theology, and uh, he's he's best well known, though, as the President and Director of AReasonableFaith.org. And he is excellent at debating people and showing the irrationality of atheism. But for our purpose today, what I'd like to do is talk about a book that's just really taking the philosophy world by storm, and it's written by Alvin Plantinga, who is the philosophy professor at Notre Dame University. So that's pretty prestigious. Notre Dame is a very prestigious university. And he wrote a book called Where the Conflict Lies, Science, Religion, and Naturalism. And naturalism is synonymous with atheism, is synonymous with scientific materialism, and all of these types of things. And what he basically states in this book is that uh, atheism or naturalism and science, uh, when it's expressed to through the atheists is that he states, this is irrational. So in other words, let me re- let me rephrase it. Cause I want to get this straight, uh, in, in, in how I'm communicating. What he's saying is that faith or religion is a better benefactor to science because even though there's surface conflicts, There's not a deep seated irrational conflict, right? Then he turns around and he says, however, atheism has a deep irrational conflict with science. And because of that, it's very detrimental to science.
0: So, um, I used to, back in high school and college, I was a debater, um, state champion. Woo-hoo!
1: In the state of Idaho? Um, in the state of Idaho. There you go. Idaho state uh, debate champion right here.
0: Um, so I kind of know the importance of making clear and concise arguments. Yes. And and each part of the argument has a premise. And if these are clear, rational, and logical, then yes. the conclusion is Necessary. It's necessary basically meaning that it's like math you know you have two units are added to another two units it's necessary to conclude that there are four units you can't have any <laughs> yeah other yeah. well uh, five
1: because i want five
0: five because i want five yeah. or well that the you know the the third unit doesn't count because well i yeah. said so i said <laughs> yeah exactly
1: yeah. you can't do it. it's necessary and i think that's really important because in logic you have to say is that you don't have any other conclusion and uh what is it? sherlock holmes used to say you know when you eliminate all possibilities regardless of how absurd the conclusion is it has to be the truth right and and that's like that is that what he's saying is that the facts dictate a necessary outcome it's a necessary logical conclusion
0: absolutely so well, in that kind of vein mm-hmm. of thought um it sounds like planting uh Plantinga. planting plantinga. <laughs> Uh, has an argument kind of similar to that. What's his first premise of this argument?
1: Okay, so here's how his argument goes. He says that, number one, your first premise is that human beings have cognitive abilities. So we have a brain, and the brain functions in a certain way that allows us to produce beliefs and maintain or retain knowledge within us.
0: Okay, which seems like a duh statement. Yeah. but he's 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 fighting a lot of uh, an yeah. uphill battle of stupid. Yeah, so. <laughs> that is true.
1: He's having to push that cart up over the stupid hill pretty far. But basically, what he's saying is that human beings have cognitive abilities, and these things produce beliefs within us, knowledge within us. We have memory. You know, we can remember facts. We can remember th- experiences. We can remember things. We have perception. And this was really important. Is the ability to interact with our surroundings and draw conclusions from the data that comes in, you know, like you, you have memory and you walk into a room and you smell something caustic going on. You immediately go, something's on fire, right? You know, the room's just not warm it's on fire. So all of these things are really important. Uh, there is what, this is really interesting, but, We have the cognitive ability called a priori intuition. Basically what that means is this. Uh, We discussed last week, and I said this on Sunday, and, and then earlier on in the series, and I think that was second week as well, is that science cannot prove mathematics. It can't do it. But we know mathematics is true. Science cannot prove logic is true but we know logic is true. So how how is it that our brains can conceive and do mathematics and can conceive and do logic? Well, that's called an a priori intuition. There's something cognitively going on here. It says, oh, well, logic, you know, you walk into a room and you smell something and you go, it doesn't smell right, it's hot, smoky, something's on fire. Right. Uh, The other things about cognitive abilities are this, is sympathy, our capacity to really show deep sympathy for other human beings and their pain. Uh, Introspection is a cognitive ability. Your capacity to reflect on your experiences, you know? Uh, Maybe learn something, you know? Wow, that really worked well, I'm gonna keep doing that. Uh, This is really where it gets abstract. Testimony is a cognitive ability. How so? Okay, testimony is this. You stand up and you say, I put my hand in the garbage disposal and turned on the power and it mangled my hand. So you have a testimony, right? Now, yes. what, <laughs> what, what can I do from your testimony? I can learn to never, ever put my hand in the garbage disposal, Correct. right? So what's interesting is, we have a capacity as human beings to learn socially and communally from other people's testimonies.
0: What you're saying is YouTube capitalizes on our (laughs) ability to have cognitive thought and testimony. So all the tutorials I watch about how to fix my car or edit some video thing is furthering Plantinga's argument.
1: That and that is a unique quality of our cognitive abilities is to learn which requires language the capacity to know language which requires memory and to be able to associate meaning with certain words which is called the phenomenological aspect of language because language is just basically abstract verbal morphines or sounds and but our brains automatically associate meaning with those words. Verbal sounds, right? So whenever I use the verbal, you know, intonation dog, something pops into your head that looks like a dog. dog. when I say it's cold outside you, you associate meaning those, all those are verbal phonetic sounds that are abstract but my brain associates meaning with them. That's called the phenomenological aspect of language. It's a big deal when you're interpreting things, particularly ancient documents. So there's induction and that's the capacity to think through a situation and draw conclusions which are cause and effect in orientation. And that is, uh, if I just eat a salad for lunch, I'll be hungry at three. You know, right. so okay, so then I can. That's called induction. Uh, moral sense is a cognitive ability, our capacity to say, Well, some things are wrong and some things are right. Now, when it comes to morality today, atheists try to argue that moral morality is evolutionarily developed within people, but the problem with that is it's still. It's completely insufficient. I would say irrational to try to describe the altruistic morality that we have today, you know, like for instance, in the case of, uh, if children in Africa are starving, how do you feel about that? Poor. You're bad. You feel bad about that. And you want to do something about that. Right? So, well, there's no way that you can, there's no probable way to explain that altruism through darwinian evolution there's just no way Uh, desire this is one of c.s lewis's biggest arguments and that is uh how can you desire something that does not exist see if you really think about that as a cognitive ability or faculty is that you only can desire things that exist you cannot desire things that do not exist right okay so now you may have a fantasy life like man i I dream of winning you know the 500 million dollar lottery and this is what i would do with it blah 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 blah. but notice that even though that's a fantasy guess what every point of the fantasy what has a reality that exists a corresponding reality there is a lottery right you know it got up to 500 million dollars you get paid out this much and You see what I'm saying? You're going to buy stuff with it. Like I'm going to buy a car. Well, that car exists that you have in your mind. So even in your fantasy life, you are desiring things that exist. So why why is it that 99.9% of the human population desires God?
0: That is a good question. If
1: God doesn't exist, as atheists claim, then how did that altruistic desire develop within the cognitive faculty of the brain. Mm. So now I know I'm talking very abstract here. Little People are like, my mom's going to call me and say, hi, you need to be more plain because I knew I want to understand what you're talking about. But do you see, these are things in Platting's argument, human beings have cognitive abilities. Now you may not, uh, agree with the argument of desire, but an atheist agrees human beings have desire. It's a cognitive ability. They will all agree that there's induction, moral sense, testimony, introspection, sympathy, a priori, intuition, perception, memory. The list goes on and on and on. They agree to all these things because everybody knows they are factual because we experience them every day. It's just that what atheists attempt to do is is explain them as occurring through natural Darwinian evolution. So that is the first premise. Everybody agrees on it. All human beings have cognitive abilities.
0: Well, and I think it's always good, um, especially when you're doing an argument, you're, you're debating someone. If you can get your opposition to agree Agreed. to the same terms and have the same thought process on something that gives you an edge up rather than just saying something that right. only one side agrees to. Because then it creates an imbalance in the argument and you can't really use that to justify your... Reasoning correct, but when once all parties that you're debating agree that these things yeah. are true You have a, a leg up in your argument structure. Yeah. So everybody
1: agrees with the first premise human beings have cognitive abilities
0: So what's Plating's uh, second premise?
1: Well, his second question is this is how reliable are those faculties? Okay, <laughs> which is really interesting and this is where his argument really show starts to show how irrational atheists are if they say they believe in evolution and they believe there is no God. Those in his position, is he goes, those are logically incongruent, meaning you cannot be, believe both at the same time. And here's why, because if you use the fact that human beings have uh, cognitive faculties as a premise for your argument, then your conclusion cannot undermine the reliability of these faculties. So your conclusion cannot contradict or defeat the second premise. And this is how it works is evolutionary theory specifically states that if it is true, then our cognitive faculties are unreliable. This is something you never, ever hear in school. You will never hear this in your science classes or your biology class in high school, you will never hear it in any biology or any coursework at the university level. But Darwin wrote about it himself and it's called Darwin's doubt. And this is what he says. He says, uh, okay. That's Nietzsche. I'll read Nietzsche in just a second. This is what he says. He goes with me, the horrid doubt always arises. He says, so inside of me, I have this terrible doubt whether the convictions of man's mind, which has been developed from the mind of the lower animals, are of any value or at all trustworthy. Mm. Do you see what he's saying? He goes, I have a horrible doubt that we can trust any value or anything that comes from the mind of a human being when his mind developed through the evolutionary process. He goes on to say this, would anyone trust in the convictions of a monkey's mind? If there are any convictions in such a mind. So he wrote this in his letter to William Grant uh, in July of 1881. So what he's basically saying is that you can't trust your faculties at all. Right. In your mind, your cognitive ones, uh, Nietzsche talked about this. Nietzsche said the following. He said it is unfair to Descartes to call his appeal to God's credibility frivolous. He says indeed only if we assume a God who is morally our like can truth and the search for truth be at all something meaningful and promising of success. So notice what even Nietzsche says this. Okay and Nietzsche is the father of of atheism and that's why you always have to study Nietzsche and freshman philosophy 101 or philosophy 101 what he's saying is that only when you assume a God who is morally alike can you have any meaningful search for truth and have success he goes on to say this God left aside the question is permitted whether being deceived is not one of the conditions of life So he's saying that your mind will intentionally deceive and trick you if there's no objective standard out there. Mm. So what's really fascinating is he wrote this in July of 1885 and Darwin wrote what he wrote about his doubt in 1881. So this was a big thing floating around. Uh, here you go. uh, In the present age, there is an atheistic philosopher by the name of Thomas Nagel and he says this um, if we came to believe that our capacity for objective theory, uh, meaning true beliefs were the product of natural selection, that would warrant serious skepticism about its results. See what he's saying is we're trying to make an objective statement that evolution disproves God, right? Right. He says, but the problem is, is that, We can't trust our objective conclusion with our evolutionary designed mind. Right. That's what he's saying right there. It's really fascinating. Okay. He goes on to say this. uh, Patricia Churchland, she wrote the following. Boiled down, uh, and she's a naturalistic philosopher, meaning she's an atheistic, she's scientific materialist. She says, boiled down to essentials, a nervous system enables the organism to succeed in the four F's feeding, fleeing, fighting, and reproducing. The principal core of nervous systems is to get the body parts where they should be in order that the organism may survive. Improvements in sensory motor control confer an evolutionary advantage. A fancier style of representing is advantageous so long as it is geared to the organism's way of life and enhances the organism's chances of survival. Truth Whatever that is, definitely takes the hindmost or the back seat, is what she's saying. She's clearly stating that, and this is what Plattinga says, is that evolution guarantees that we behave in such a way, and the principal function or purpose then is of our cognitive faculties has nothing to do with truth at all. Mm. It has only to do with survival. Therefore, all of your beliefs are designed to do what? Get you to survive and this is why I started off today saying what you believe is one of the most important things about about you you. so how reliable are these faculties well according to the evolutionary theory they're completely unreliable you can't trust them Nagel talks about this another one person Stroud talks about it these are philosophers Atheism states, though, that these cognitive faculties must be reliable in order to prove their conclusion. In order to say evolution proves there is no God, they are assuming that all of my cognitive faculties are what? Reliable. Right. So when Richard Dawkins says, well, I can't believe there is a God because there's no proof, what he's saying is that, my mental cognitive faculties are absolutely objective and trustworthy but if you how can you say that when you believe in evolution and evolution specifically states all of your cognitive faculties are unreliable your cognitive cognitive faculties have nothing to do with objectivity if you are Uh, evolved from a lower life form. They don't have anything to do with truth. They don't have anything to do with logic or mathematics or anything at all. It's all about survival and survival alone. So you're going to believe and think cognitively only things that allow you to perpetuate the meaningless process of passing on your DNA.
0: Well, it's similar to like uh you know folklores that were told to like keep you from running into the woods and things like this it's like you start believing these things that were really just meant for your survival but then it becomes a whole but then it warps your entire um thought process of well now we live our life based on this theory that there's this monster out in the woods that's doing this and that's not a reliable source and they're basically saying hey If this is true, then we can't trust what we believe about ourselves. We're just animals who have created a thought process or been told something in a previous life or not in a previous life, but in, you know, a previous century that's just trickled down through our (laughs) descendants. And none of this is making any sense and none of it could be logical or real. Yeah, but
1: it even goes, you're right on on the surface, but it even goes deeper than that because how, how do you... You know, how can you even cognitively think that believing anything has value? You see, well, right. how, it, it, well, there is no belief, you know, how do you know you're not a, a battery and goo that is, is wired a, into the matrix, the matrix powering. Yeah. So you don't know that you can't trust that. You can't trust any of your faculties, you know, as Morpheus said, after he got Neo out and they went into the first construct, he says, Oh, you think that's air you're breathing. Mm. You remember that? Yeah. It's like that. It's like, you see, there is no, you can't trust what you even perceive.
0: You it's, see? It's all an illusion. It's. Uh,
1: uh, I mean, th- the ramifications of this are massive. And I understand why most people don't want to think about it because it's so abstract and so out there and so crazy. But when you boil it down to basically this is that. You cannot hold to the theory of evolution and hold to the belief of atheism at the same time. They are irrationally incongruent. They don't fit. There's no logic to it. This is what Plattinger says over and over and over again. This is not a little conflict. This is a massive conflict because you cannot build your conclusion. Well, evolution proves there is no God. Okay. well, you cannot say both of those and be a rational person at the same time. Now, people who do say that, in my opinion, are people who are ignorant. They lack rationality. They are saying something that is not logically congruent or rational, but they say it anyway because they want to believe it to be true. And this is why Frank Turek, a professor, wrote a book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. See, what you're making is a faith statement. It's a metaphysical statement. has nothing to do with science, nothing to do with facts. It's all about your religion. So when people say, well, evolution proved that we don't need a God. What my response to that is that, well, all you're saying to me is that you're irrational. That's all you're saying to me is that you haven't really thought about this. You haven't made any attempt to think deeply about what you actually believe. And obviously you're not very rational. You're you're kind of a low IQ person. You know, you don't want to believe in a God. That's your choice. We live in a you can believe whatever you want. And I believe that even in the most totalitarian governments or the most whatever governments, people. Always believe what they want because they're human beings. You choose what you want to believe. Now, people believe that evolution disproves God. That's why I am an atheist. But that doesn't mean you're rational and it doesn't mean you're logical. As a matter of fact, what you're doing is you're buying into a philosophical construct that has a defeater. And whenever you say that in philosophy or in logic, what you're saying is your math on how you live your life is all wrong. Right. You know, you, you've got wrong math. You're saying two plus two equals seven <laughs> that is, if, if you want to know where depression comes from, live your life on math. That's wrong. When your beliefs contradict each other, guess what happens? That's where regret comes from. How many human beings? Here's another cognitive faculty is we feel what guilty, right? We, f- we experience regret. Now, why in the world do we experience regret because our brain said, do this or our brain said, don't do this. Our heart said, do it. It'll be fun. And then once the thrill is passed, what happens? We're just filled with what regret, regret. because we had two competing beliefs. We had a heart belief and a brain belief. They contradicted each other. And what happened? It creates emotional pain. And so where does so much of depression, so much of anxiety, so much of all this happens? It happens in people because they believe conflicting things and they're trying to get them to work with each other.
0: It's similar to like, you know, most movies where there's some sort of robot or artificial intelligence. And the way you always defeat it is you give it some sort of like. Yeah. A bad logic puzzle and it, it overloads yeah, it, can, it can, overloads yeah. and explodes yeah. and that's basically what's happening in people is yeah. you know there's going to be less fire and sparks going off in their heads and you know they're not going to blow up but internally they're blowing up because yeah. they're trying to reconcile two things that don't Fit. fit and yep. they keep trying and they keep trying and all it's doing is just driving them into these depressions and yeah. um, having all of these additional feelings very similar to, you know, a emotional representation of what, you know, all of these movie computers do when they explode. Yeah, that,
1: that's a great, you know, boy, movie references are awesome, aren't they? Because <laughs> it, it just helps us understand this more. And that is, is that when people are uh believing contradictory things and you're constantly trying to get those things to fit, right? Well, what happens is when you can't get them to fit, you know, your your the natural emotional response to that is despair. The Bible talks about this all the time. It's despair because you can't get it to fit. And once you have despair, then you're like, why should I live? Right so 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 this is this is a huge deal, this thing. and this this concept of faith in science is, overall, in my opinion, one of the most important things that you can work through in your own brain because the world in which you live uses uh, science. and what I mean by that is naturalists, scientific materialists, atheists, the media, you know the media is completely secular in its approach Hollywood and all the movies. What they're doing is they are using their perspective to try to get you to believe there is no god but the result of you consuming all of their propaganda is that it destroys your life it destroys your life and you have no reason to live now i get it from so many of you is that the appeal that the that the media makes i get the appeal that professors make and that is is that you you know they they simply point out the religious superstition that is a part of Christianity we can't get around that they use that they go well look at these nut jobs you know that say these stupid things and and so you just dismiss it easily Uh, sometimes in Christianity there are people who not only have religious superstitions but they do bad things you know what I'm saying they don't They don't live up to what they claim, you know, but bottom line is that's an issue of humanity because I don't know of anybody who lives up to their own expectations of who they want to be. Right. You know, even atheists. So but but the bottom line is, is I I get why some people feel like, well, I don't want anything to do with religion or I don't want church or I don't need it, you know. But the bottom line is, is that are you really going to reject something because of a surface issue? When it's going to be the thing that you need to save your soul so you don't fall into this atheistic evolutionary trap that brings despair. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like you go to the doctor and the doctor says, I have some really bad news and some really good news. And the bad news is, is you have cancer, you know, and it's in stage two. Now, the good news is, is we caught it early and here's your treatment plan and this treatment plan is going to give you a 95% success rate to be in remission for the next 50 years of your life. And then you go, oh, great. And you say, now, is there chemo in my, my plan? Yes, the protocol requires you to take some chemo and some radiation. And you go, oh, radiation. Man, some friends of mine got radiation and their hair fell out. I'm not gonna take it. I'm not gonna do that. You know, cause I don't want my hair to fall out, you know, well, but your hair will grow back. No, no, but I'm not going to do that. Cause my hair is going to fall out. We would look at that and say, that's kind of irrational, right? You know, um, a 95% success rate. Well, what if your success rate was a hundred percent? right? hundred percent. And here's the protocol to follow. And you say, well, I'm going to not do it because I live next to a guy who said he was a Christian because, well, how do you know he said he was a Christian? Well, he had a, a bumper sticker that said honk if you love Jesus. And he'd drive in the cul-de-sac and cuss at me because I left my trash bins out. I don't want anything to do with those people. See, that's that just so that, that is like you have the freedom to do whatever you want. And God will allow you the freedom to choose whatever you want. doctrine of non-coercion. But that doesn't mean I want to say this in a real loving way, but that doesn't mean you're not an idiot. <laughs> you can be a complete and unequivocal idiot, just like some of these really high IQ people who believe in evolution and atheism at the same time, even though it's completely and unequivocally irrational. Hmm. so the notion that we can be deceived because we choose to believe what we want to believe the evidence is overwhelming
0: well i'm excited for sunday as you i mean i'm kind of sad to actually see this series go (laughs) because i've really been enjoying it um and just kind of eye-opening as to what you've brought up It, it gives a lot of thought a lot of research i'm doing on my own and um I, I think a lot of other people are having a similar reaction to this series, and mm. so it's a really good way to kind of, I don't know, solidify your faith, really, <laughs> as we go into Easter. Yes. It's just been yes. good. So Strengthens uh, your
1: faith. strength, And that's what we want to do. We want to strengthen what you believe, you know what you believe, why you believe it. Because then what happens is all that incongruence and all those conflicts start to leave your system, right? Right. And then what are you? You're spiritually strong.
0: Yep. So while I am sad to see the series go, I am excited to hear your last sermon on it this Sunday um and we'll then be starting a new series next week yes excited for that we're ramping up for easter um we just thank you guys for joining us every week um for watching on youtube or listening on your podcast device of choice um, we hope you continue joining us. And throw out some uh, suggestions on things. Mm-hmm. Um, we were playing with new monikers, salty seekers, <laughs> um, because of some responses we had on yeah. other things. So we're, we're salty open. saltine. The saltines, yes. So yes, we're open the to The explorer. Yeah. So leave a comment, leave a like, make sure you're subscribed. And we will see you on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church mm-hmm. in beautiful Boise, Idaho.
1: <laughs> All right. Goodbye.